Hello, my name is Sandy Fires, and you are listening to the full interview edition of the Road to Open Science, a podcast from the Utrecht Young Academy. In this episode, we talk to Frank Miedema, Dean of the Medical Faculty and Vice Chair of the Board of the University Medical Center in Utrecht. An edited version of the interview was published in the first episode of the podcast titled A Social Dilemma. At the start of this interview, we refer back to analysis made by Sasha Friseke, a specialist in digital innovation, who also appeared in that first episode. I'm Frank Miedema, I'm the Dean of the Medical Faculty and Vice Chair of the Board of UMC Utrecht. And I've been doing that for more than nine years already. So, Sasha brings the uh, uh, issue of social dilemma, and I think this is very much close to your analysis in Science in Transition about the systems uh, versus the personal incentives. So you agree that you are giving the same diagnosis of the system? Yeah, very much. So I think that uh, what the speaker was saying, that indeed um, the, 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 pr- the purpose of the, of the individual is not in sync anymore with the, the, the purpose of the system. And so, and that makes it very difficult. So even if you wanted to do open science, even if you wanted to give your data away, even if you would share all your data, uh, it would not help you because in the system you would not survive at this point in time. So you're not in sync because you have to have your paper, your first or last authorship, or you have to have your patent, your ownership, et cetera, et cetera. So this is, this is the dilemma that we all realize. And uh, so, um, and this is not going to, to, uh, to change overnight by people with goodwill or, or good, good intentions. This is, a, this is a real very complex systemic, uh, say, problem. One of the issues that Sasha brings is the emphasis almost and it's also in the report of the European Commission that you also advise this, this monolithic emphasis on papers as the single acceptable form of output. And we know that these are important. You also mentioned in rankings and uh, the rewards that are given to the whole institute. So it also trickles down. So how do you think this dependence on paper output or publication in the paper form output can be changed from a university uh, management perspective? Yeah, I think, um, so, the, so the, there, let me a- answer the question from, from the dean's perspective, right? I'm in my own system, but in the University of Utrecht, for instance. I think that um, we, we realized what's going on. We realized that the incentive reward system has been sort of, has been developing and has evolved over time to just go for papers, and not only papers, but also papers with specific high impact, et cetera, et cetera. So this, this is a game that has sort of um, developed over time. Uh, I'm 64 now. I have seen it happening since I was 30. And it happened, everybody has seen it happening, it, 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 uh, sort of unconsciously. It's, it's a sort of, it, it, it just happened. There's, there's no, no, nobody is guilty. This is just how, how systems uh, evolve. And uh, all of a sudden, we are in a situation where only papers and only high impact and high impact of a specific type, etc., is, is being, uh, say, um, appreciated. At the same time, all of the time, people have been warning against it. People have been warning against proxies for quality, which are not good, uh, papers uh, in nature, which are not nature papers, and the total, uh, say, over overvaluing of, of, of a high impact. For instance, if you do basic science on, on, on cancer, you, you score nature and science papers. But if you do real new, say, research on radiotherapy, the highest impact paper is, is five or four. 
whereas nature is 40 or something. Uh, but still, we know there's the same creativity, it's this, it's, there's excellence involved, and there's, we all know it, but still we, all, we, ha we have been going in this system and we are totally addicted to high impact, and we know that it's not fair to people who never... Uh, but anyhow, this is how, how it works. Uh, so, yeah, the only thing that can really change this, 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 this uh, and keep us from going, going even further is uh, management of universities, uh, management of big funders um, to say, stop, we have to think. We have to realize that we are not doing the research evaluations in a proper way. We, we, we have to really go for content. We have to really realize that there are differences between cancer genetics and radiotherapy or, or rehabilitation sciences. We have, to, uh, we have to also act upon it. As you have, we, we, we don't have to say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's very complex. No, we have to say, okay, then we have to act. And therefore, we have to realize that uh, this will not change if we not change the incentive and reward system. And, incent uh, in, in, in the incentive and reward system in every paper in open science now, since, since a couple of years, uh, the first chapter is we have to change the reward and incentive system, incentive and reward system, because people are not going to share their data if we keep counting and, and uh, their articles and looking at their impact. Because open science is, is totally different from articles, publishing articles, uh, because in the beginning, when I was also a young scientist, this is for your young scientist, when I was a young scientist in Amsterdam, I was in a cohort and uh, it, it was all publicly, uh, say, funded, but it was our data, it were our cohort samples, it were our patients, uh, data sharing at that time in the in the 80s and early 90s was not done. Uh, we were sitting on a, on it like 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 lions because we needed those data for the next generation of our PhD students. And of course, this is the the, the old system. And I was raised in the old system as well. But now you know that this is totally inhibitory to say sharing data, going for quick quicker innovations for in healthcare, uh, for the better of patients as well uh, and, and, their, and their parents. Uh, but also the whole idea of why are you doing science? Do you do science just to make a career? Uh, is, is science all about say having your data and, and, and being in a career advancement system where they count your articles and this is the way you make a career? Or do you want to do and this is, of course, the other side of the dilemma. Do you want to do real stuff for real patients? And, of course, you hope then that there will be wise deans and, and vice rectors and rectors who will reward you for doing the proper things. And this should be, say, uh, disconnected from uh, articles in, in high-impact journals or whatever. It should be based on understanding what you have been doing, peer review. Peer review also comes, I mean, you, for example, mentioned that instead of looking at the impact factor of the journal, read the paper. But that still needs the paper. The question I have mostly at this moment is that what else, apart from the paper, are you going to uh, reward or are you going to actually count? Yeah. Uh, not in terms of counting one, two, three, but yeah. calculate, uh, yeah. consider. Uh, that's the word. What else are you going to consider which is not in the form of paper and how are you going to transfer this information, give this guarantee to the young researcher that even if you write a code, I as a dean will accept as an output, yeah, yeah. valuable output. Yeah. The, the nice thing of, of open science, so there's, there's two things here. So uh, when we started this, this science and transition debate, uh, I had not realized, to be very honest, in 2012, 13, I had not realized that open science could possibly take care of most of our, say, critical points. 
And the critical points were abuse of metrics, abuse of only articles, and that say uh, patents, okay, patents, but say uh, tangible products like somebody who uh, makes a machine or an, or, uh, or an, um, uh, an app for, for instance, rehabilitation sciences, uh, a new method for, for uh, learning you to, to, to talk again after a stroke. Hey, that's a method that is not, of course it can also be written up, but it's, in essence it's a method. It's, it's a procedure, and, th and that is the value. It can also be a machine where you do radiotherapy with, or a, or a new machine uh, in the laboratory where you can measure things. Uh, these things also have, are, are uh, say, examples of academic output. And, uh, and indeed, what, uh, what has been just said, it has all been reduced to papers. And uh, if you go to uh, the Technical University Eindhoven or uh, Twente, there people, they, they design something and they put a design, a model on the table and this is their end product of an academic, say, uh, master period. And uh, of course, they will also write something about it, but in essence, the design is the most important. And there's nobody who says in Eindhoven, that's not an academic product. But we in university, we want a paper and uh, we have to realize that also tangible products um, could also even be, say, indeed, writing code, uh, algorithms, uh, new methods for analyzing data, whatever. Everything that is coming with an academic, say, um, uh, excellence, that is what we have to, yeah, appreciate. And if we, want, if we need to count it, we will count it, but we will have to understand it and appreciate it. That's the most important. And you want to do that more through qualitative Questionnaires, multi-aspects. Uh, yeah. Um, we asked, yeah, so we asked the question. Uh, we asked the question to young people here, young young professors, and also still not professor. Uh, so, how do you want to be? How do, do you want your research to be judged? And uh, so they came up with a scheme, and the scheme is very much like um, the, one. The first question was, uh, which they found extremely important, is what question are you addressing? What is the research question you take on? And how did you get that research question? Uh, is it the research question that you just invented, you yeah, uh, supply side, you could say? Or did you talk to patients, did you talk to parents of patients or, or the public that there was a need and that you think that by addressing this question with your research, you can address this need and you can add something to the real world? Of course, also academically, it can be written up, it can be an academic pr product, but also, uh, are you going to contribute to something in reality, in the real world, for a real patient, for instance? In the medical center, we can always ask, is this, what, is, does, what does it mean for the patient? And so, if you look at those type of questions, then it's also, do you have the right team? Because in open science, it's also very important that you, we realize that you, you need teams to, and you have to build a team to solve a real problem. Because it's also very important, and this is uh, something you don't hear too much in open science, but uh, in science and decision, we have been saying that, that in fact, uh, we used to reduce, say, a complex problem in reality, we, we used to reduce this to, to a, a little, a, a small, tiny problem, which is uh, reductionism, uh, and then we solved this little problem in the lab, and we published it, and then we said, yeah, we have been studying uh, in a model a real problem in, 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 in the real world, even in, in patients. Of course, we know now that in many cases this, this didn't really contribute to the real problem in the real world. So now you see that uh, people ask for nonlinear, complex research in reality because we have to really solve a problem in reality. 
And therefore you need multidisciplinarity, you need totally different ways of, say, looking at the problem um, compared to what we did in the early days when I was young, when everything was reduced. And uh, I was trained to do that. I was trained to not write too complex, say, grand proposals, but make it very slim and very, say, soluble, you could say. And this is what uh, Medawar always said, science is the art of the soluble. If you pick a very complex problem, your career will be over because it cannot be solved in four years for the next round of, say, grants, etc. So the, the whole idea of open science is going to help in, uh, solve all these issues. And so I'm very uh, optimistic, but we need deans and vice chancellors, but we also need the funders. So... Um, this brings me to another question, which is very much related. So I understand as a sort of an enlightened section of the university or a dean which accepts this, can enforce it under his organization. But the young researchers come from all over the world and they have to go all over the world because this is a very internationalized yeah. market for their career. So how much freedom has one department or one faculty or one university even in assigning totally out of the mainstream criteria for promotion or for, for counting for rewards? So what we hope, of course, that with the national platform Open Science, with what happens in FP9 in Europe, we hope that this will be the, main, the mainstream. So we hope that in the in coming five to seven years, people will realize that we have to not count those articles anymore, which of course in most of the cases are didn't did are not making the promise, uh, but that we really have to uh, that this is the way to do it. And of course, it's a portfolio approach. And there will always be people who do very basic stuff and they want to have their nature and science papers. That's good. But we have to say that's nice. But we also need a lot of other research, and so it will it will be a mix mixed bag. And in that case, everybody can survive. But there are, I'm sure that in the coming years, and you already see it happening also in other universities, that, uh, and also in Europe, that, uh, that the large funders, they will not go for articles anymore and, and high-impact journal uh, papers, but they want to have, in our case, with respect to patients, outcome. They want to see outcome, real benefits for patients. And so I think that the Bill and Melissa Gates Foundation, the Wellcome Trust, um, the, the, the European community, uh, and uh, even our own charities, uh, the KVF, uh, Stichting, uh, Longfonds, they all go in the same direction. Because papers, uh, my boy, they don't cure patients. That's very interesting, because now you just mentioned these examples, and I know this, and it's funny, or it's maybe not funny uh, to, to laugh at, but it's interesting that the privates uh, or sort of... Uh, Private funders are a bit ahead. I mean, we have also in UK the Trust Foundation, a bit ahead that the public funders, which are actually publicly financed, and they must be more in favor of making things publicly available, but the private funders are a bit ahead. How do you see this? Uh, I think they, they, um, they feel the pressure, uh, the heat from the, 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 don the donors. And, uh, and the, the men in the street, the donors, and with social media, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they realize, and they also realize in Europe that if you if you are going to spend uh, 100 billion, uh, say, uh, euros on FP9, uh, then the, that the European taxpayer wants to see something out of it. And uh, of course, playing academic games and uh, and having having uh, high being high on lists in Shanghai is not going to do something for Europe. 
so they want to have really say meat on the table. Uh, we used to say, and I think that, that there's an there's a, a the pressure from the taxpayers, and as there's also the, the the pressure from the from the donors, and it's it's uh, in the in, in the UK, for instance, you see that in the REF, which is the research uh, say uh, research excellence framework. Research, how can you forget it? Research excellence framework that used to be very much on academic, uh, classically academic metrics is now going for 30% societal impact, um, going for even allowing, say, um, uh, narratives where people can describe how their team or how their department has delivered something in the real world. And, and this is happening for some time already. And I think uh, everybody realizes that science is really part of society. It's not a game for rich, say, uh, gentlemen, uh, as it was in the early days. And that we really have to realize that we are accountable also to the taxpayer or the, do the donors of research. Of course, there's also still a lot of room for basic science. And so people who don't have to be... Uh, so sometimes people say to me, ah, but now you're against nature and science publications. I'm not. I am against the idea that that is the only science we have to do and that the other people are not respected. Uh, but you mentioned this, the way you uh, have been trained and also other senior scientists yeah. uh, of your uh, generation have been trained and they are now the people who evaluate and they yeah. mostly evaluate based on their own training and gut feeling yeah. than based on the advice or the protocol always given to them. So it's always difficult to change that, uh, as you said, yeah. overnight. So how, in your organization, are you planning to bring the seniors or the R4 researchers, the, the, yeah. the, the advanced career researchers on board of this change in the paradigm? Yeah, so there are two things. So it's a little bit paradoxical. So on the one side, people who are over 55 or over 60 who are REVs, their, their career is set and everything is fine, like, like in my case, they they can go along and they can say, yes, okay, yeah, we have been, uh, this is more relevant and this is better. And uh, yeah, but of course we were, uh, say, sort of forced. We, the system was making us behave as we did in the early days. So, so for the, the elder, the, the, the older you are, the easier it should be, yeah, in fact. Of course, some of the people are so addicted, and, uh, but most people, uh, they realize, yeah, yeah, if we can change and if we can change without say, uh, killing the system without, without uh, uh, putting the system on tilt or whatever, um, then, then it should be done. There are people in the mid-career, and they are the most, uh, say, vulnerable. So in the if you are mid-career PI, say 40 years of age, you have your first grants, etc., and you have, you have built your CV based on these, say, classical metrics um, uh, criteria, then it can be scary because then you say, okay, now... Uh, who is to be trusted that I, my, my, if, I, if I would change my behavior, I would go for open science and share my data using ORCIDs, et cetera, and, and, and all nice. But how can I be sure and, uh, uh, that, that, that the next dean is also be trusted and that there will be consistency in, um, in governance? And, uh, and this is really a question I always get many times, even uh, last week, uh, two times already. And it's even, you could say, it's even worse for people who are just now finishing their PhDs. Because they say, okay, I will, we will not produce six, seven papers for a, for a thesis anymore. We will have two or three really good, say, papers. And we can also show that there is a lot of meat in those papers. It's not only, say, uh, produce, to, to produce a paper. Uh, how can I be sure that when I do an application in Charité in Berlin or in, I go to Leuven, 
uh, or to go to London that people will see through and then they will understand uh, how my resume is being built and, and where I am. If open science will be mandatory, if, if, if this will be the, the large movement, then all of Europe is going to be uh, included. If the charities, and the, the, the Welcome Trust and Bill and Melissa Gates and the NIH, if they will all go in this direction, which apparently is going to happen, if you now see the signs, and I'm not, um, uh, I'm very posit positive but not naive, so I think there's a lot of, a lot of there's a lot happening. Uh, then uh, I can tell these people, yes, it will be a little bit scary for the coming five years, but this is really going to happen, and you will be fine. So stick to it. But uh, yeah, you have to trust me based on my blue eyes for the for the time being. But how are you inside the organization uh, monitoring this or trying to expand yeah. this attitude? Yeah, we do. Uh, so, so we, we, we uh, used uh, this new, uh, say, uh, set of indicators for uh, research evaluation, also very much team and high, higher, higher aggregate level. Um, we, uh, we used it in a pilot in the, in, the, in the standard evaluation protocol two years ago. And now we decided with the board here that we will use the, the new framework of indicators for the, for, forever, for, for the, the next, uh, say, uh, evaluations of our research and also of individuals and, and uh, as far as that is possible. Um, there are very few people who are openly against it. So there are people who are a little bit yes, uh, worried. Is it going to help my CV? Uh, indeed, the question is if I now want to go to Leiden, but how, how, how will people judge my CV if I come from Utrecht? Um, uh, and what we do is we also uh, follow um, uh, with uh, CWTS, the Center for Science and Technology Research in Leiden, we follow the committees who use the new, these new uh, indicators. And uh, so we have uh, PhDs here on the ground who look how the Bates Institute Committee are now, uh, say, different from how they used to be before we changed. Like, for instance, if we have five applicants for a specific position and people would say, well, yeah, we used to, there are two people with a, with a VD and uh, normally we would give them the professorship. Uh, but of course, now we know that that's a lottery. Uh, many people without a VD are as good as people with a VD. So now we should really understand what somebody is doing and we should really read. Uh, that type of debates are happening now. And, and we study also how this relates to the, the type of professors and the type of, of scientists we uh, say hire and, 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 uh, and we promote. We uh, actively study uh, these changes because it's, it's, uh, it's not nothing. And when do you think the results will be out? <laughs> uh, there will be a thesis. There will be uh, four theses, of course. Eh? Yeah, we count them. Um, we have four theses about this probably three years from now. Okay. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's paid by uh, Zon and Wei projects uh, where uh, this type of interventions, because we do, a, in fact, we do an intervention. Uh, it's not clinical, but it's sort of subclinical intervention. And, and this is really to change behavior and also to change the, the way committees look at candidates. And uh, this is the cultural change that we, uh, we need. And we have to show people that it can be done. And already in five years, that's quite impressive. But do well, you see the thesis that... Will be there. The thesis will be there in five years. Yeah. But do you see this rollout in other faculties of the University of Utrecht, which is very close to you? I, I think there are, there are uh, the people are watching us, and, and uh, the, you see that people are sympathetic to it. And they, of course, everybody is a little bit afraid for the resistance, because the resistance, of course, is coming from those scientists who were always the elite and on top. 
Because they don't need this issue. But if you, for instance, in, in, in UMC Utrecht, if you were uh, in geriatrics or rehabilitation sciences or sports medicine or GP science uh, or, or whatever, um, uh, these fields suffered from um, being, or even surgeons, um, these fields, they, they didn't get into high-impact journal, uh, say. Uh, and so they could not, say, yeah, stand the game with uh, the classical genetics, for instance. And so these people, of course, they feel better now and feel yeah, more honestly evaluated than, because it's not, only, it's not the classical metrics anymore. It's really about what do you deliver and how good are you compared to what is normal in your trade? And then, of course, you have to compare rehabilitation sciences with rehabilitation sciences and not with Hans Klevers, for instance. So, yeah. But I remember a few years ago, you were not so sure that other faculty heads will listen to you. Do you feel that they listen to you now more? I think that, um, not because of me, but I think that open science and the whole debate in society, um, the, what the, the government has been doing, Gezondheidsraad in our case as well, the Health Council, there's a lot of movement going in the same direction. If you look at the, the new five-year program of NVO, which came out last year, week, it is going totally in this direction. Of course, we, I'm very uh, glad with that. And, but that's, that's, that is because there are many people now who realize we have to go back to uh, really understanding what science has to deliver. And of course, also that science has to deliver more for society because there, is, there are huge issues, in not only with health, but also other issues in society. And we really need science to help us solve these issues. And uh, that cannot be an academic game only. It has also it has to deliver. So I think that... We were probably a little bit early in 2013, but it was a, a zeitgeist that was already there. So do you think that at this moment, the senior scientists at the university uh, who sit in the committees, generally, not only UMC, know enough about open science? No, I don't think so. No, I think that this is really a problem because I was uh, giving a talk Thursday afternoon for uh, geosciences, uh, urban solutions, so is that called? And I gave my talk there, and uh, then you see that people uh, most of the time think it's open access publications, but that it is data sharing, and that uh, data sharing can be done b based on your ORCID, on your identifier, and that it will be a real product, and that if people use your data, that, that they don't steal it, but they use it, and uh, they can show that whose data it was because of the identifier. Uh, I think there were, there were very few people who really know all the ins and outs of that. And, uh, and, and, and why it would be good to go for open science, even, even in the geosciences. But I, th I think that in many faculties, these discussions are now going on, and in many universities also in the country and in Europe. So, so Utrecht is, has to move also with open science, and there's a lot of education involved, a lot of education. I read in the report that actually many universities who don't really practice open science generally do give open science courses. Yeah. But apparently this is not felt. It's like sort of one of these ethics uh, courses that you do, but then you forgot. Most of the people uh, hope that we could sort of gradually and smoothly go, into, go in this direction. Uh, but, uh, but apparently if you change your evaluation and reward system, that cannot be done. That is really, that's there. Everybody can see it. And you have to be very uh, honest and open about it. So if, you, if, you, if you're going to say, okay, of course, we will look at your, uh, at your papers and we look at your output, we look at how much grant money you, you are getting, that's, that's one thing. But you have to be very honest to say, but we will also look at uh, how, did you, uh, how do you relate uh, with society? Where did you get your question from? Uh, say, did, is your data 
are being used by others. I think if you, that, if you show people that it will be an, an, an integral, it will be comprehensive, if, if how people will be, uh, say, evaluated, then that's, it's, it's honest. But I think also that people in the end will uh, appreciate that because they still see it will be a mixed bag and they can survive by being a, a top academic who has classical output, but also a top academic who is delivering for society without ever publishing Nature and Science and Cell papers. And I think that is the ideal situation. So be, I, will, I think you have to be very honest about it and, uh, and, and discuss again and again and again uh, that this is not against the, the, the top, the elite who have nature and science publications. No, this is also to, to facilitate the other type of science which has impact and which is more applied. So one of the things also saw in the report uh, that you have also advised uh, for the European Commission was about uh, one of the easiest things that university can do and all, it's almost costless is the uh, public relations strategy. And now you mentioned these star scientists with high impact papers, uh, very well known. But if I just walk around in the campus, I see all these faces, single faces that have brought grants, yeah. some of them bigger, some of them smaller. But as a young scientist, if I walk and see this is the communication strategy and this is what's rewarded and praised, yeah. as you said, how should I trust that all these things about Science eventually will work in my favor and not against, against the facts on the ground. I think we should reconsider that. You're totally right. And uh, so even if in NWO's uh, five-year uh, strategy, which came out uh, a week ago, they say it's team science. Even top scientists are totally dependent on a team where there are experts that help them. And we have to really realize that these people are as important. And of course, there always, will always be top scientists, but we have to be very, very careful by having this adoration for and admiration for that type of scientist, because it, it takes away a lot of, say, uh, energy and, and, uh, and also yeah, cheers for people who have been doing a lot of work with these, in these teams that are not the top scientists, but are very good scientists also with a lot of excellence. But this is the classical system, and we like... Yeah, we like this individual who has invented something, but as we all know, it's teamwork. But it looks like it's very much in the control of the university locally, you know, yeah, it has yeah. nothing to do with Shanghai. We should take them down. We should, you, you say that we should take those, uh, those banners down, right? Yeah. Well, I'm asking, would you ask your uh, yeah. people? We have, we have to reconsider in university whether we will have this type of promotion of individuals. Uh, all of the time. I think it's nice that sometimes you have a face that somebody, uh, but it should also be people who are not the, 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 the classical heroes, but who do something which is very important for society and also are then in the, in, in the spotlight. So there could still be banners, but also banners with people with a totally different output, which is extremely important for society. And also in collaborations, again, I see the report and the rewards and incentives. There's a huge focus. You say it's not the case for MVO, but there's a huge focus on rewarding individual researchers because they are the people who take these personal initiatives. But is it possible to imagine that on the group level, on the institute level, you analyze the open science or the activity of the institute as a whole uh, as one of the grading schemes, for example, because then you only have the whole institute and then it yeah. will trickle down. Yeah, ide ideally, yeah, so, so ideal, if you look at uh, how, how to, if you don't want to say really, um, say look at the individual level, but if you say, um, my ideal is, is, is as follows. So for instance, uh, take the issue of uh, stroke. 
It's a very complex, say, pathogenesis is very complex, epidemiology complex. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, say, uh, behavioral studies, nutrition, uh, genetics, everything is there. Eh? Very complex, social, social structures, etc. So to study stroke and also to study, say, rehabilitation after stroke and etc., extremely complex, uh, say, problems have to be solved at the same time to be, have optimal clinical care and innovation of care for patients. So you could ask the question, okay, are we now going to evaluate every individual uh, of a, say, a, team of, a team that does research on stroke, could be 20 people, 25, with scientists who are, and then of course people around, etc. So are you going to uh, evaluate all those 25 uh, researchers, or are you going to say, no, this is a volleyball team, uh, they play volleyball and, uh, and they have a coach and, there's a, uh, uh, and, and they know uh, how their team is optimally composed. They know uh, who the setters are and the strikers, etc. I, I used to play volleyball. And uh, so and eventually the success of that team is very much dependent on how they are working together, whether they have the right setters and the right strikers and the stoppers, passes. And um, in fact, even in science, you could say, well, I don't care. I will judge a stroke team based on output, clinical output, uh, innovations, publications, also uh, whether they, how are they are being judged and reviewed by peers, uh, real peer review, uh, understanding, not, read, not counting, but reading. Uh, and then, of course, you could say, well, I could, I could sort of give an evaluation of such a team. And then, of course, very, say, deep into it, uh, a specialist could say, a peer reviewer could say, well, I think that the epidemiology part of this team is too weak, or the genetics part is too weak. But, but in my mind, that, that should be left to the team itself. They should know where they're, if, like in volleyball, you know, your strikers are not good enough, you have to hire or, or train better strikers. Uh, and so uh, I think where we go is we will say, well, we will judge a team, and there will be people responsible for their team, uh, for instance. And the dean will, uh, I, will I will look at the, the stroke team as a team and they will say, yeah, uh, I see that uh, you're lagging behind and uh, you have to improve your team. And But I'm not a person who do it. They should say, okay, but then we need another setter, for instance, metaphorically. And so this is probably the way to, to really, uh, say, evaluate team science. Because it's the, the coach of the team who knows uh, who, who he needs to do his work, uh, to, to play the game. So in other words, it's not about hiring uh, another star player, but a player that can play with this team. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And, and, and it's, it's even more important. So many star players, they, they should never be in a team, they, but they will do their own thing. And, and if, if they are in the right context, their stuff can be used uh, by other people. But uh, I think in many cases, those teams, they, they, uh, yeah, they, they have a lot, did, did a lot of training together. They know each other. They are, they are working, uh, working well together. And this is also, in, even in NVO's uh, five years program, they say we have to, there have to be team science. And we have to also think about how are we going to evalu evaluate team science. Yeah, that's based on, on output. That's, that's really based on innovation, uh, products, uh, also attribution. Uh, uh, is the, are patients of, the, of this specific unit, are they happy? Uh, is there innovation that, they, that can be attributed to this? Is there, is there a health council reports that say, yeah, based on the, what was discovered by this team, uh, we have now changed the, the guidelines, etc., etc. So we have to go in that direction. And then, of course, uh, the issue is it will be a, there will be a banner with the whole team. How are you going to bring this message in a securing way 
to the people who are starting and are the sort of start of their career in the organization. Yeah. So, so I think the, the good news is that, that people now know, know that, I, that they don't necessarily have to be fidi, fidi, fici, whatever, that they can also be part of teams and that, that, that uh, say, sensible deans, say, uh, and, and that uh, proper evaluations can, can appreciate their role in, in the team. And if, of course, if somebody uh, is applying, he, he or she can say, okay, I was in that team, my duty was, of my contribution, was doing the, the fMRI or doing the seven Tesla or whatever, or the genetics. And this is, of course, the, the most ideal. And then you don't even have to fight for, for the, the, the author ranks anymore because then people know, uh, okay, you were an author, but in fact you were a contributor. And uh, no matter where you are on the paper, we know you did seven Tesla or you did genetics in this specific group for some time. And therefore the group was very good. This is, this is the ideal, this is where we have to go. Yeah, because those fighting issues and fighting about authorships is horrible. Yeah, and it's only because we say we only know first and last order. It's, it's nonsense. There are people in the middle who have done extremely important work, but yeah, there's only one first and one last order. Yeah. This reminds me a bit like the, uh, say, industrial science, like in astronomy and uh, yeah. high energy physics. We have this, you know, you have paper for the whole uh, team. Yeah. But from first-hand experience, I mean, in our corridor, there are more of these people. I understand actually also in these organizations, a lot of friction exists because it's very unclear how are you going. It's based on personal contacts, how you progress. Uh, the, the flexibility is very small. So you cannot, you know, if you are in a team, you are sort of stuck to it. So this lesson, this example is brought a lot, but I see the other side of it. Can we easily translate what happens in the industrial science to smaller scale science teams of five, ten, in a sense that people still feel free to move around? Yeah. So, so the, the example people always use is Atlas. You're probably familiar with that. 1,500 people are working on one problem. And, uh, but that, that's huge. Eh? That's really huge. So I think if you are in teams with 2025, which is a European consor consortium of where 25 or 40 scientists work together, I think then the flexibility is, is, much, is much larger. I think both, and, and by the way, there are how many atlases are there in the world? Eh? So if there, if there will are many, say, life science teams working on stroke or many on uh, the genetics of breast cancer, then your, the flexibility and, and, cha and changing, uh, that's, like, that's like in sports. Yeah, if, you, if you don't make it at uh, Chelsea, you can always go to uh, Man United. And you mentioned several times this, uh, this set of criteria that you have developed. Yeah. Who developed them? I did not. There was a group of people uh, under the, the chairmanship of Professor Manike Schuurmans. And there were, uh, say, well-informed people in the audience, and of in, the, in the committee. Uh, Rinse Benedictus, uh, he is one of the staffers who is very well aware of these studies. Uh, he, is, he was uh, sort of secretary to the committee, and uh, this was happening two years ago already. So they came up with a scheme which is uh, generic, but you can immediately see what the value is. It's very much what I said. It's about, say, products, at one uh, end products, but it's also about process. Are you, how, how is your... How, how are you designing your process? Are you connected with the patient? Are you connected with people who are going to use your data? Are you connected with people who can help you getting it to the market, etc., etc.? And also non-commercial. Also, are you connected with people who could, could take it as a service, etc.? So we have been, uh, after the pilot, we have been evaluating it. And uh, for some reason, most people find it extremely logical. 
Yeah, and it's also published already, say, widely a couple of times, and uh, it's very much, uh, it looks very much like the, uh, the scheme for career advancement that was designed by the uh, Open uh, Science Group in, in, in the Brussels. Uh, in the, uh, that was a little bit at the same time. I, did, I was not aware of that, but they look very much uh, similar. And do you see that this scheme, since it's applied, has increased the openness and the production of open science as a whole ratio of the production in I the... Think, I think for us, it, it has not yet worked for open science, although, of course, we, we use it yeah, because the criteria can be share your data, have your data fair, etc. That will all be part of it. But we have been using it in the beginning, especially to get out of the squeeze of the classical metrics. We wanted other products, like you started in this interview, we wanted to get for other products to be uh, evaluated at the same level of excellence as the classical papers in, in high-impact journals. This, this was the first goal that we had. And then later on, uh, I realized this is, uh, could be a wonderful match also for open science. So I have to be very honest. I discovered open science um, four years ago or something, and then I realized, oh, but this is exactly what we can also use to solve most of the issues that we have, had put on the table in the, in the analysis of uh, science and decision. Do you monitor the degree of openness in your institute in terms of open science? We, we are going to do this, and we are going to. Uh, it will be a large project for the coming years to how? have open science. Yeah, just do it, do it. So and, how do you monitor how much has been done? Uh, how much your organization has moved from the traditional system of publishing yeah. towards open yeah. science? Yeah, we, we. I think we just have to begin. It's, it's, we are we are at the very very early beginning. Still, you have to realize. And this is for the whole University of Utrecht. Eh? So we really are starting. We have this nice, we have a nice, uh, say, uh, proposal from the committee. And, uh, and I know, uh, of course. And uh, so uh, I think this is really, it has to happen now. We have to, it's just beginning. Yeah. And people are now just trying to find out how are we going to do it. Yeah, it's going, it's, it, it's going to be work, hard work. Yeah. And now, so the question back to the social dilemma, having this way of evaluation, how do you think, uh, the social dilemma for the individual person will be fixed uh, if such evaluations are applied on a large scale. Yeah. So the dilemma is that you, you, you are uh, asked to share your data, and, and, and ideally that would be the, the case, sharing your data, being open, and not sitting on your data until uh, you have been milking it to the end. Um, having that said, the dilemma is that is exactly how you survive and how you make a career in science. So the idea how to make a career in science nowadays and open science are, don't go along. They are, they, are, they are detrimental to each other. So it's sharing your data is detrimental for your career now because then you cannot make your next high impact paper from the same data. And this, this is a huge dilemma because many people are not in science to make a career, but they want to do something in the real world for real people, for the good life. And that dilemma can only be solved if we change the incentive and reward system. Rewarding people for sharing and not for publishing papers. I have just one little question. With this solution, there is a lot of pressure, because it's true promotion, on the people who are just starting, right? And now we go back to the people who are already in the system and have made it, and they also sort of feel this dilemma because it's also for them. They still have you know, five years, ten years to their pension, but this five years is quite a long time. How should they get informed and how should they sort of come on board? Yeah. So what you do now is, is this is okay. so we have to speak about it much, much more. 
we have to also be very honest about it. We have to also be very honest about where the resistance is, and that, res that those people who resist the systems, assist, who resist open science, are not per se bad people. But they, they feel the system and they feel the dilemma. And so we have to help them, say, get out of that squeeze. And, and th that is the real way to do it. So we have to talk a lot. We have to explain to people how the system works now, why that is not going fine for open science, and how the system has to work to facilitate open science. Also technically, but also with respect to how they are rewarded. And that takes an enormous amount of words to be, say, spread. And so we have to talk, we have to ed educate people, we have to explain people what is going to happen, that it will take time, uh, and, and that it's not their, uh, their fault, they are not bad people if they feel a, a problem, this is how the system works against them. And that we have to help them, and that everybody, in fact, who, is, who understands science knows that we have to go in this direction, but everybody feels the same pain. On that positive note, and that's what we try to do with this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much, Frank Miedema. Yeah. You're welcome. You have been listening to the full interview edition of the Road to Open Science podcast from the Utrecht Young Academy. I was talking to Frank Miedema, Dean of Medical Faculty and Vice Chair of the Board of the University Medical Center of Utrecht University. An edited version of this interview was used in our first podcast, which also featured digital innovation expert Sasha Friseke. It is called A Social Dilemma. You can check that out too. We love to know what you think about the podcast. The discussion on this podcast and the show notes are hosted on the portal of the Open Science Community Utrecht, www.openscience-utrecht.com. There are more episodes coming soon, as well as more full-length interviews. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss out. You can find us on Twitter searching for at sign R2OS podcast with an numeric 2. Thanks go to Lieven Heremans and Marisa Moll for helping bring the podcast together and Andy Clark who worked on this interview edition. And from me, San Lifaez, thanks for listening. 